0: And I just want to add my welcome to uh, that of James earlier on. It's uh, fabulous to have you with us. If you're visiting, you're very welcome uh, this afternoon amongst us. I hope you feel at home uh, with us. If you're online, welcome to you also. And uh, we trust that God will speak to all of us online or in person uh, this afternoon from his word. I wonder, have you ever thought about what your preferred learning style is some teachers amongst us you know this might be very familiar to them different learning styles i wonder what your preferred learning style is you know some of us are auditory learners you know we we take stuff in we hear it and you know it it sinks in and that's fine we've received what's being said for some of us it's visual you know we learn by seeing things by watching things. For some of us, reading and writing is our preferred style. Avid note-takers, we can perhaps see some of them scribbling away uh, this afternoon. I know uh, my wife is an avid note-taker, and uh, uh, she does brilliantly at capturing stuff. And for some of us, uh, we're kinesthetic learners. Uh, oh, that's a big word, isn't it? Kinesthetic learners, uh, so we learn by hands-on stuff, doing stuff, doing tasks that help us to understand. When I was a student, I was a dreadful dreadful student. I mean, I found learning really difficult. I found absorbing information and retaining information uh, really difficult. I had to devise different strategies to help me learn. Over the years, I've come to recognize that I learn better through visual communication and doing things practically. Well, today is Pentecost Sunday, one of the most important days in the church calendar. We don't, we don't observe every uh, different uh, you know, Sunday that uh, uh, maybe the Church of England would observe and so on. Uh, as a church, we, we remember the key uh, dates, obviously Christmas and Easter and so on. We don't always necessarily Uh, pay a lot of attention to to Pentecost as a Sunday because we believe the Holy Spirit actually is with us uh, week in, week out. But um, it comes this year right in the middle of our series on the Holy Spirit, as James has said. Uh, And so today we're going to remember the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the early disciples after Jesus had ascended back to his Father in heaven. You know, this Sunday marks the start of the Christian church. You know, it's an amazing Sunday. It's a Sunday when we remember the baton, as it were, being passed uh, from Jesus to those early disciples uh, to take forward the work that Jesus had come to earth to do. So why do I mention different learning styles in the context of Pentecost? Well, for the past three weeks, we've been looking at three chapters in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, chapters 12 to 14, where he talks about the gifts given by the Holy Spirit. We've seen that he, the Holy Spirit, gifts every Christian, not, just, not for our benefit, not so that we can be puffed up and proud, but so that we can bless others. They're given to us for the common good. And we've actually benefited from some of that this afternoon, haven't we? As people have brought words, as Johnny brought a word, as David brought a word, and Will brought a word, we've benefited because God has been speaking to us by his Holy Spirit and through his word as well. We've seen how important it is for each one of us to play our part as all the gifts are essential to the healthy functioning of the church. So we've read about this. We've heard Owen teach on it, but for some, maybe you're still struggling to understand this, or maybe even to accept it. Or maybe in what we read today, and what we see in the passage, the teaching of the past few weeks will come alive for you. We're going to read from Acts chapter 2, where we'll see the practical impact of Christians being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we'll draw out some key points from this passage. I've asked Heather if she'd come and read uh, the passage to us. I think we'll need the mic, uh, uh, James, if we could. Um, So it's quite a lengthy passage, but uh, thank you, Heather, for coming and sharing with us.
1: This is Acts chapter 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit. each of us in his own native language. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem Let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus And all of that, all of that we are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. "'until I make your enemies your footstool. "'Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain "'that God has made him both Lord and Christ, "'this Jesus whom you crucified. "'Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart "'and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, "'Brothers, what shall we do?' "'And Peter said to them, "'Repent and be baptized Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls.
0: Switch myself back on, that would help, wouldn't it? Yeah, thanks, Heather. What an amazing day that must have been. What an amazing day to launch the church. Jesus had been with his disciples some 40 days since the resurrection when he talked to them about the Holy Spirit coming on them. He hadn't been with them continuously, but he'd been around. He'd taught them still. He'd shared meals with them. After the shattering experience for them of Jesus being taken from them and crucified, they'd now got used to having him around again. Life for them, however, was about to change again. No sooner than he'd promised them that they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit than he was taken from them again as he ascended back to his Father in heaven. Before leaving them, He gave them clear instructions as to what they were to do. We then find them ten days later in Jerusalem. It was the Feast of Pentecost, celebrated by the Jews 50 days after Passover. It's also known as the Feast of Weeks, observed by the Jews on the seventh Sabbath after Passover. The Feast of Pentecost marked the completion of the barley harvest a time of celebration. Pentecost is therefore referred to as the Feast of Harvest by some Jews. This was an important festival in the Jewish calendar, so much so that Jewish men were required to travel from afar to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. Our passage talks about a whole multitude of devout men from every nation under heaven, Possibly up to 70 different nationalities represented here from all around the Mediterranean region. You know, it's apt that Pentecost this year falls on a bank holiday weekend for us. The Queen's Platinum Jubilee. I noticed she was upstairs on the mezzanine floor (laughs) earlier. Uh, She hasn't joined us this afternoon. There, Crowds from across the UK and from many other countries, actually, have thronged the streets of London and Windsor and every other town and city across the land to celebrate the occasion. It's been amazing to see the pictures of people gathering, enjoying themselves, celebrating uh, together, mixing with people that maybe they've never mixed with before. This was a similar time in Jerusalem, this was a bank holiday weekend, or, or their equivalent of it. You couldn't do any paid work, paid physical work, over the course of this festival. And the streets of Jerusalem would have been packed for the celebration. I want us to look at three aspects of the coming of the Holy Spirit on that day. The first is the promise of the Holy Spirit. Luke records for us in the first uh, first chapter of Acts and verses 4 and 5 the instruction and the promise that Jesus gave to his disciples before he ascended to his Father. We read, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. What are you like when it comes to waiting? Are you patient by nature? Or impatient? I can imagine Johnny and Sophie must have had to have some patience as well as peace in waiting five hours to be recovered from the side of the motorway. We can see in our kids sometimes impatience, can't we? You know, when their birthdays are approaching or Christmas is approaching, you know, they can't wait for that day to come. They, they may be even they sneak a preview of their presence, you know. They just want to... Yeah, just get a foretaste of what that present is like, a crafty preview. I suspect actually that for many of us, we're much the same. We can be impatient if we're waiting for a, maybe a house purchase to complete, for the lawyers to do their stuff, or the survey to come through, or, or, or whatever else. Or maybe you've got a new car in order, and you, you're counting down the days for when that new car is going to arrive even when we know the expected date. We can still grow impatient waiting, can't we? Well, just imagine what it was like for these disciples. They actually didn't have a timeline to the promise that they were given. No date associated with it. They were just told to wait. We might imagine that they spent their time wondering... Is it today? Or frustrated that it wasn't yesterday? Or engaging in idle chit-chat? But no, it wasn't like that. We read later in chapter 1 that they returned to Jerusalem and went to an upstairs room where they were staying and all joined together constantly in prayer. Wow. They've been taught well by Jesus, haven't they? We're not just talking here about Jesus' inner circle. We're talking about 120 of his disciples, of his followers, meeting in that place. And they were there for 10 days after they'd received the promise. And then the promise was fulfilled. We read in verses 17 to 21 of our passage a prophecy that was recorded by Joel, hundreds of years before Jesus' ministry and before the incident that we read about in Acts 2. The apostle Peter was so convinced that this prophecy foretold of this event that he cited it when he was addressing the crowd. Up until now, the Spirit had been given selectively to those who were going to encounter difficult testing or of whom God was asking Courageous deeds and acts. And the Spirit was given exclusively to the Jews. Joel's prophecy made it clear that this would all change. And Pentecost was the time when this happened. From here on, it was clear that both Jews and Gentiles could receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. You know, Jews and Gentiles from now on could receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus also taught his disciples about the the Holy Spirit coming immediately after he taught them how to pray. In Luke 11, we read, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. It reminds you of the song we started our service with. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. There's the promise again. And who is the promise to? Well, to those who ask him. It's pretty broad, isn't it? If to those who ask him, that's who the promise was to. It doesn't sound like it's restricted to a few. It's for all of us. We simply have to ask, and we can do so confident that God, our loving Father, will give us his Spirit. You know, we've seen over the past three weeks how the Holy Spirit distributes spiritual gifts to Christians and that gifts are given for the common good. They're not given so that we can compare ourselves with others or become proud and arrogant. They're given so that we can build up and encourage one another. The illustration of the body And the gifts representing the different parts of the body is so powerful for reminding us of our dependence on one another. No one person has all the gifts, and so we miss out when we don't share our gift, and vice versa. You know, this aspect and the context of our passage have an important reminder for us today. The first verse of our passage says that they were all together in one place. The reminder for us is the importance of gathering, of being together with God's people, because when we're missing, the body isn't complete and can't fully function. Over the past couple of years, we've endured lockdowns. We've not been able to gather without putting others at risk. We've watched online from our homes. For some, you know, that may still be necessary through illness or vulnerability. But, brothers and sisters, it's not the norm. It's not what God intends. He intends His church to come together. We need to come together on a Sunday. We need to come together in our life groups and at other times during the week with other Christians in order to operate as a body of believers. The Holy Spirit was promised to these early disciples and the promise was fulfilled. Friends, we have been promised the Holy Spirit by the same promise-keeping God. In the passage we read earlier, Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you've already received a measure of the Spirit, but he's promised that you can be filled with the Spirit just as these disciples were. Secondly, I want us to look at the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, has been present throughout all time. He was there at creation. If you read in Genesis chapter 1, just the second verse of that chapter talks about the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. He was there at creation, and he's been active throughout history. In the Old Testament, we see God giving his spirit to specific individuals at specific times and for specific purposes. We see in Exodus 31, where God gives instructions for the making of the tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant, and other furnishings, he says to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel. I have filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. He gave Bezalel specific gifts that he needed at that time. Just two chapters later, when Moses was feeling inadequate for the task that he'd been asked to do to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt God said to him my presence in other words my spirit will go with you there are other such instances in the Old Testament especially with the prophets used by God but what we see in the New Testament is very different in our passage Luke Speaks of tongues of fire resting on them. I love that expression, resting on them. You know, it has that sense of gentleness, but that sense of, you know, not just momentary, but resting there, resting on them. In Romans 8 and verse 9, Paul writes, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. If in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, you know, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in Christians that we see throughout the New Testament, the spirit of God dwelling in people. Paul uses the same expression in writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians three and verse 16. He writes, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? We carry the Spirit of God with us wherever we go. I wonder, I wonder what you would answer if I were to ask you why the Holy Spirit was given to those early disciples and why he's given to us. We might come up with many answers, mightn't we? Scripture teaches us a number of different things. So in writing to the Romans, Paul says he testifies to us that we are God's children. That's the Holy Spirit at work. We're taught that through him we know God's love. Again, that's Paul writing to the Romans. In writing to the Galatians, he says, walking by the Spirit helps us to avoid the desires of the flesh. In John's Gospel, we read, he teaches us and reminds us of the things Jesus has said. And also, he assists us in testifying about Jesus. Now, all these are true, they're in God's Word, they're true. But I want to suggest to you, they're subsidiary to the main reason why the Spirit was given. There's one overriding reason the Spirit of God was given, and that's recorded for us by John in his gospel account. When he writes, "When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now I want to suggest to you the primary purpose of the Spirit coming was not actually about us. It was about God. It was about him being glorified is about Jesus being glorified for his work in defeating sin and death on the cross for his resurrection and for his ascension back to the father to reign on high that's the headline objective that's the compelling reason why the spirit came those of you who are in business will know actually writing a headline objective is all very well, but it's unlikely to happen unless you ask yourself the question, how is this going to happen? How are we going to get to this marvelous endpoint, this wonderful vision that we've got? How are we going to get there? And that's where the Spirit's work in us becomes really important. The Spirit helps us to see Jesus more clearly not fully, but more clearly, and to glory in what Jesus has accomplished. In doing so, he enables us to become more like Jesus, to take on the likeness of Jesus ourselves. This is what's captured in our core pursuits on the banner. The Spirit helps us to know Jesus. The Spirit helps us to grow Like Jesus, the Spirit helps us to go with Jesus in reaching others. But for what purpose? Well, for the purpose of the headline objective. All for the glory of God. That's why the Spirit was given. The Spirit helps us to bring glory to Jesus when we come to know him personally, as our lives are shaped by his word, and through spirit-inspired input from others, using their gifts. And as we fulfill the commission, we've been given to share Jesus with others. My third point is that we look at the power of the Holy Spirit. I guess that's what strikes us when we first look at Acts chapter 2, the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, the difference between having power and not having power is quite stark, isn't it? We don't very often suffer power cuts in this country any longer. Our infrastructure is pretty resilient. But when we do, we know it, don't we? You know, it's all very well being able to light a candle and get a bit of light, but you very soon know when the heating's gone off, And we can't use your computer anymore. communication is made more difficult. Alarm systems fail. And so much more besides. We've come to realize how dependent we are on power. What Jesus promised his disciples before he ascended was that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came on them. Power not to make themselves look good, but power that would enable them to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The power was to enable them to carry on the work that Jesus had started. As those who had accompanied him and heard his preaching and teaching and seen his miracles... They were now not just knowledgeable about all that he had done, but they were to be empowered to go and tell others about Jesus and to share the good news of him and the gospel that he brought. Witnesses in the court case give an account for what they've seen and heard, and that's just what his disciples were asked to do when Jesus commissioned them. You know, it's remarkable, really. Only two months before, after Jesus had been arrested, Peter didn't have the guts to even acknowledge to a servant girl that he'd been one of Jesus' followers. I don't say that in any critical way. I know my own weakness. At times when I know I've had an opportunity to share Jesus with others and I fail to do so. Peter, though, had been beautifully restored by Jesus after his resurrection. And in the passage we read earlier, we see Peter acting as spokesperson for the disciples when the crowd around them were amazed and perplexed at what they saw and heard. You know, I'm not surprised. (laughs) I think we'd all be pretty gobsmacked, wouldn't we, if we'd been there and seen and heard everything that was taking place. I remember my first encounters uh, with the gifts of the Spirit in operation. And in particular, speaking in tongues in meetings that I attended, small meetings I attended in people's homes. I didn't think the people around me were drunk, but I did think they were pretty weird. I didn't understand what was going on. I'd had no teaching on the subject. I'd been to churches where they didn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They didn't teach on the gifts of the Spirit. And even though I'd read my Bible, I'm just amazed how blinded I was to what's there in black and white. What caused me to change my position and to earnestly seek spiritual gifts was receiving teaching on the subject having God's word opened to me, it made all the difference. I wondered how I could have been so blind before. And what follows in our passage is Peter doing just that to the crowds around them. He taught them. And he didn't restrict his teaching to their immediate questions around the disciples speaking in tongues that they understood, even though they'd had no previous knowledge of those languages. He went much further. He used the opportunity to launch into the most powerful sermon, and one in which he pulled no punches. Though they were complicit in Jesus' death, he didn't blame them. He made it clear that the cruel death that Jesus had suffered on the cross was part of God's deliberate plan, as was his resurrection from the dead, And his return to his Father in heaven. The sending of the Holy Spirit was part of that plan also. Peter ends his message by calling on them to repent and to be baptized, and 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. This was just an amazing occasion, an amazing occasion. This is fulfillment of what Jesus had asked of Peter and those early disciples, that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem. And because of the many nationalities that were gathered there for the Feast of Weeks in all all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, this was the start. This was the start of the church, and so the gospel has continued to spread for 2,000 years. The change that had come about in Peter from being timid, pretty outspoken, but timid, to being a bold witness for Christ was through being baptized in the Holy Spirit. The source of the power was not in Peter before. But in that moment, when suddenly there was a sound like a violent wind, and when they saw... What seemed like tongues of fire coming to rest on them, he received power from the Holy Spirit. And, friends, that power is still available to us today. And the source of the power is the same. Do you need that power? Well, I know I do. The commission that Jesus' his disciples received to be his witnesses and to preach the good news of the gospel is the same commission that applies to us today. We're called to share the good news of Jesus with our friends and our neighbours, with work colleagues and those we encounter in our everyday lives. I guess we've all had opportunity this weekend as we gathered maybe in street parties and so on, to actually talk of Jesus to our neighbours. Have we taken those opportunities? Do we do so in the workplace or at the school gates? We need the empowering of the Holy Spirit to fulfil this great commission. You know, I can't promise you tongues of fire or even the sound of a violent wind. God chooses how and when he'll do things. We know that from Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus that the Holy Spirit is at work in us from when we first come to faith in Christ. We're born of the Spirit. For some, their encounter is so dramatic that they're filled with the Spirit at that point. For others, myself included, it was years later that I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. At that point, I experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit, which brought a joy, an increased desire to read God's word, to know victory over areas of sin in my life, and to share Jesus with others. Whichever is true for you, you know whether you felt you were filled at the time of your conversion to Christ, or whether you, know, you came to know the baptism of the Spirit at a later point, whichever is true for you, I can say with the greatest of confidence that the fullness of the Holy Spirit has not lasted. Or if it has, you've had to do something in order to do that. How do I know? Well, when Paul was writing to the Ephesian church, he exhorts them not to be drunk with wine but instead to be filled with the Spirit. And the present tense of the verb he uses there has a sense of keep on being filled. It's not just once, it's keep on being filled. This is a scary thought, isn't it? But I wonder if we each had a gauge on us that showed from empty to full in terms of the Holy Spirit, where we would stand today. If you've ever been fortunate enough to take delivery of a new car, it may have come with a full tank of fuel. I should probably be talking about electric vehicles these days, but anyway, I'm going to stick with uh, uh, old technology. Probably would have come with a full tank of petrol. And you would have been fine for maybe 350 miles or so. Everything would have been great but you and I know the time would come when the tank would run dry. At that point, the car would be useless. Still look nice and shiny, still on the drive. You know, you might be very proud of it, but actually it would be of no practical use whatsoever. Until it's refilled. At which time it becomes useful again and can serve its intended purpose. I was challenged as I listened the other day to a message when the preacher said he'd learned to ask God to fill him with his Holy Spirit each morning. And just to explain the point, he said, actually, he said, I'm not boasting. This isn't a boast. It's, It's actually a declaration that uh, I'm so needy, that I can't fulfill my ministry without the Holy Spirit's help, my utter dependence upon God. This is the keep on being filled that Paul was encouraging us. Let's be a people who ask for that filling daily, knowing that we ask of a Father who delights to give good gifts to his children. So we have the promise of the Spirit and most of us today have become Christians and received the Spirit. If there's anyone here who hasn't as yet become a Christian, I want to say to you, take time after our meeting today to talk to James or myself or Maddie or, or Jenny. Talk to us and we'll Be delighted to tell you about coming to know Jesus for yourself and receiving the Holy Spirit. But if we're Christians, we have the presence of the Spirit dwelling in us. Those two elements can be tracked back to when we responded to the call of Jesus. But the question is do we know the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives today? We need him to help us to fulfill the commission Jesus has given to us. And being filled again is not difficult or formulaic. We need to ask. And Jesus has said we will receive. i know ask Phil and the band if they would come back up. But as we're gathering, as they're gathering, I just want to come back to that point about the kind of gauge empty to full where are you in terms of the fullness of the Holy Spirit as we sing our song I I want to just give you the opportunity that if you'd like to come forward and be prayed for you don't need to but if you would like to come forward and be prayed for to just receive the Holy Spirit afresh this afternoon. I want to invite you to do so. There will be folks here who will willingly pray with you. Take the opportunity to do that. But it's not formulaic. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that to please me. But if, if that you, you feel that's your response to our message this afternoon, to what you've heard on the day of Pentecost, I invite you to do that and be prayed for. We want to go from this place full of the Holy Spirit so that we can impact the lives of those around us. That's what we're called to do.